0: My name is Tim, and I'm a part of the team here. I want to say hello to everyone joining us online and invite you to say hi in the chat. Let us know where you're joining from. It's always fun to go back and check out. Today, we are concluding a series we've been calling Gym Class, walking through the book of James together. This little book in the back of your Bibles with loads of practical instruction. As you may know, just a little backstory James is a letter of instruction written to the early church, the very early church, actually. Scholars believe that it was written by Jesus' brother, James, which would mean it, was, it must have been written sometime before A.D. 64. That's 64 years after Jesus' death, when James was put to death. So sometime before he was martyred, he wrote this. This would make it the first book written in the New Testament, actually, with the Gospel of Mark as a close second. So, book of James super early instruction to the church. I spent a year studying the book of James and memorizing it. I actually found it kind of difficult to memorize. Has anyone here during this series read through the whole thing at a run from start to finish? Okay, I encourage you all to do it. It's a short book, Um, but one thing you may notice is that it feels kind of disjunct like there's other passages in scripture like the Sermon on the Mount where the flow just makes sense right Jesus says something and then it naturally moves to the next thing and naturally moves this one felt kind of hard to figure out because it just feels like it hops around from one thing to the next it's compared with wisdom literature it's kind of the wisdom literature of the New Testament like the book of Proverbs and it's specifically addressed to the Jewish community As stated uh, at the beginning, James writes, James, a servant of God, um, to the 12 tribes scattered. Because this book was written before the Jerusalem Council. I know, hang in there with me. We're going to get to the good stuff here. Um, It took place before the Jerusalem Council, which is talked about in Acts 15. That's when the leaders of the early church decided they would take the gospel to the Gentiles. So, this was written before then, which means that James is sort of addressing a whole set of different problems than the Apostle Paul. Um, the reason that I think it's kind of disjunct, I sort of think of it like this. If you are going to write an email to your whole family, just think about it for a second with me. You're going to write an email to your whole family, you're going to write an email to your parents, your siblings, your cousins, uh, that. Sort of strange, rich Uncle Mo that you don't really want to get stuck in a conversation with, right? Maybe your nieces or nephews who are full of passion and zeal for life, but also walking through struggles that you've never faced before. If you were going to write an email to them, how might you do that? How would you get everything in? You might make bullet points, right? When I write an email to a broad group of people, I'm just going to hit some bullet points. Some points hit home harder for certain people. And if you go back and read it again, with this in mind, you can sort of pick out who James might be talking to when. He's hitting different points for different people as he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Kind of like if you were to write to your whole family. So, uh, I want to go through the whole whole chapter 5 here. It's not very long. At some point today, I'm going to read through each portion. And when I do... I want to ask you uh, to not just listen with your physical ears, but also to listen for what God might be saying to you today through that scripture. For God to do what only he can do, which is take these words, take my words, and make them applicable to your life by the Holy Spirit. Um, So we're going to get into it here. We'll take this first two portions at a bit of a run, and then I'll camp out on the third portion. Is everyone still with me? No? Okay, well... Time to buckle up. (laughs) Uh, James 5 starts off with one of these bullet points to Rich Uncle Mo, basically. Now look here, you rich. Weep and wail for the horrible things that are going to happen to you. We really confirm here when and where this letter is written. As the final line in this section confirms that James is folding in a reprimand to the Sadducees, the high priests many of whom have joined the community of believers at this point. This would be that sect that betrayed Jesus, gave him up to Rome for execution. Many of them would have come to faith at this point, but still been working in their vocations as the arbiters between Rome and the Jewish people, still stealing from the poor, stealing from the rich to make themselves richer still. Jesus turned over the tables. You all remember that iconic story when Jesus went into the temple, turned over the tables, But that didn't stop those systems from functioning. There was more work for the church to do as the gospel of Jesus and the new way of relating to God had to take root and grow in this baby movement called the church. So James brings this theme throughout the book, one of the bullet points, to a very sharp and driving point. And so let's listen to this first section together. Now look here, you rich. Weep and wail for the horrible things that are going to happen to you. Ouch. Your riches have rotted and your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will bear witness against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have stored up riches in the last days. Look, you cheated the workers who mowed your fields by keeping back their wages and those wages are crying out. The cries of the farm workers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived off the fat of the land in the lap of luxury. You have fattened your own hearts on the day of slaughter. You have condemned the righteous one and killed him, and he does not resist you. So that's where we start. And I'm sure there's a lot that we can draw from today in our own culture um, but that's basically who he was addressing and talking to, and he'd been kind of dancing around it throughout the book of James, if you go back and read it. But here at the end, in the conclusion, he knocks it home and makes it clear who he's talking to. Then, to the down and out, he has a bullet point next, as he closes, for instruction on suffering. The backdrop of the early church was violent and oppressive. Rome was not happy about this movement, this uprising, and everyone was experiencing heightened levels of persecution. So James is encouraging everyone to hang in there, just just like Dr. Strange said uh, at, at the end of Infinity War. Anyone watch these movies, Marvel movies? And he says, we're in the end game now. You guys remember that? But just like Strange, little did James know there was still a lot of film to go and multiple additional phases to the franchise. But I digress. I thought that was clever. Here's what he says in this next bullet point. So be patient, my brothers and sisters, for the appearing of the Lord. You know how the farmer waits for the valuable crop to come up from the ground? He is patient over it, waiting for it to receive the early rain and then the late rain. In the same way, you must be patient and make your hearts strong because the appearing of the Lord is near at hand. Don't grumble against one another, my brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the gates. We're in the endgame now. Consider the prophets, my brothers and sisters, who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take them as an example of long-suffering and patience. When people endure, we call them blessed by God. While well, you have heard of the endurance of Job, you saw the Lord's ultimate purpose. The Lord is deeply compassionate and kindly. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear... Don't swear by heaven, don't swear by earth, don't use any other oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That way you will not fall under judgment. Do you get what I mean about a little bit of that kind of bullet point like scattered? Like where did yes be yes and no be no come from? We're talking about suffering. Um, But as he moves into this next portion of prayer, this move actually makes a little bit of sense which is where I'd like, I'd like to spend the rest of our time on prayer, but it's good to know that James caps this point to those suffering to let your yes and your BS and your no be no. This essentially means not to manipulate others by invoking the power of God to support your desired outcome. That's what Jesus talks about. He's actually hearkening back to the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one, So he's basically saying, don't say, I swear to God, or God told me. That can add a manipulative weight to a debate that's really hard to argue with, right? If you've ever been talking or working through a decision with somebody, and someone comes up to you and says, you know what, God told me what you're supposed to do. Kind of hard to debate. There's no more thinking involved. Okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. So it's a little bit of a warning to people who are in suffering, Because when you don't have control over anything, when you're in a season of suffering and you feel little power over anything, that can be a temptation. That can be a temptation. And there's a warning there against it that Jesus gave and that James reiterates that we want to just let our yes be yes, our no be no. We don't know the future. You and I don't know the future and we shouldn't pretend to know, right? We should trust God and let our yes be yes and our no be no. Little note on that. Finally, we come to prayer, and this is where I'd like to camp out for the rest of our time together. Prayer is one of life's great mysteries. Most people pray, at least sometimes. Comedian Emo Phillips is known for saying this. When I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bicycle. Then I realized that the Lord doesn't work that way, so I stole one and asked him to forgive me. Right? Prayer How does it work? What are we supposed to do? I love this quote from N.T. Wright. It's a little bit lengthy, so hang in there with me. At its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of his reality, generosity, delight, and grace. And for most Christians, most of the time, prayer takes place somewhere between those two extremes. As always, James is here to give us very practical instruction for prayer in the life of a church community. I feel, in a sense, I want to go back and address one thing about the yes be yes and no be no. This doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to us now or that we shouldn't um, encourage each other when the Holy Spirit gives a word but we are to be careful, right? That's basically what it means. We want to be careful when we are bordering on spiritual manipulation of a situation to control the outcome. Does that make sense? So it's not that we don't want to say, you know, you might approach that conversation like this, hey, I don't know if this is from me or this is from God, but I'm kind of getting this sense. How does that feel to you, right? That might be a better way of going about it than saying, I swear that God told me this. I swear to God this is going to happen, right? That's kind of what he's saying not to do. Don't use God to manipulate your situations because he's not a respecter of persons. He's going to do what he wants to do, and we need to wait in humility on him and approach all those things with humility. Does that make sense? Okay, so coming back, coming back to where we are. One of the best features of the book of James is just how practical and easily applicable it is. It's full of things that you can just start doing immediately. James even acknowledges this in the very first chapter. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word, but do it. I recently read about this true story. It's told by uh, Ken Davis, who uh, who is talking about putting faith into practice. Ken said, what I love about children is that they just do it. They hear it, and they do it. He said, this story, there were three little boys in Albania who found an old radio, and they were listening to it, and the only channel that came in clearly enough was a message being spoken by Billy Graham. And without anyone's help, they all prayed to ask Jesus to come into their lives and save them. And they kept listening to the radio. They found out that Jesus could also heal people. So they decided to go do some healing. True story. They went to the biggest hospital in town, they went up to the third floor, and they went into the first room, and these three little boys said, Jesus, there's one. And they went to the next room, and they said, Jesus, there's another one who needs you. And they went to the third room and the fourth room. And by the time they got to about the fifth room, a commotion began to erupt because people were getting up out of their beds, walking out into the hallway, completely healed, And the missionaries who'd heard about it interviewed some of those who were healed and they said there was a whole bunch of people on that third floor who were miraculously healed that day. They confirmed it. And so the missionaries searched for these kids. They finally found the kids and their one question was this, you healed all those people in Jesus' name. God did amazing things through you. How come you didn't go to the second floor and then to the first floor? And the little kids answered, we just decided to do something else for a while. They didn't know. They didn't know you're supposed to put up a tent, buy airtime, charge admission. All they knew is that Jesus healed people, and they went to do it a little bit. It's no wonder that Jesus loves children. No wonder he said that unless we become like little children in our faith, we won't be able to enter the kingdom of God. Because children, they just hear it, and they do it. I believe God wants us, christ Center, this community right here in Kashmir, the Wenatchee Valley and beyond, to be doers of his word, not just hearers. That's a core part of our mission, to grow disciples. Jesus said, teaching everyone to put into practice that which I have commanded, to be doers. We want to be doers here. He doesn't want us sitting around just talking about it. He wants us to live it and apply it to our lives, and that's what James is asking us to do here in the next bullet point in chapter 5, look what he says. Let's read it together. Are any among you suffering? Let them pray. Are any cheerful? Let them sing songs. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of church, and they should pray over the sick person, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Are any among you suffering? Oh, can we go to the next slide, please? Faithful prayer will rescue the sick person, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have committed any sin, it will be forgiven them. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. When a righteous person prays, the prayer carries great power. Elijah was a man with passions just like ours, and he prayed and prayed that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, the sky gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. How do we pray about our problems? I think James gives us four steps, and I want to quickly walk through these four steps. But before I give you the steps, I want you to notice something in verse 13. He says, is anyone in trouble? You should pray. Is anyone happy? You should sing psalms of praise. All he's saying is that life is full of ups and downs. There's troubling times and there's happy times. When you're in trouble, you should pray. When you're happy, you should sing. All he's saying is that when times get tough, go to God first. But look what he says we should look what he he doesn't say when we, we should do when we're in trouble. He doesn't say, is anyone in trouble? You should think happier thoughts, right? He doesn't say you should go on a shopping spree. Go buy some Pokemon cards for your kids. My kids are into that right now. I don't know. You should, you know, just shake it off and have a dance party in your kitchen. We like to have dance parties at our house. We dance to Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. That's not what he says to do when times are troubled, right? He says, go to prayer. When you're in trouble, you should pray. And why should you pray? Because God has all the wisdom and power that you need to get you through any problem that you are facing today. And when the problem is sickness, James gives four very specific steps. He says in verse 14, if anyone is sick, you should call the elders of the church to pray over you. So that is step number one. When you're sick, James says, call the elders of the church to pray for you. And it's not just limited to the elders because verse 16 says, the prayer of any righteous person is powerful and effective. In other words, anyone whose heart and motives are pure can pray for healing. And remember where we're at right now. James is talking to the earliest version of the church and reestablishing all kinds of practices that they're not used to. This is a new practice for them. Now, the Greek word that James uses here is kakopatheo, and it means afflicted, usually with a disease or a life threatening malady. But verse 13 says that any kind of trouble is worth calling people together to pray. Elders, prayer teams, pastors, step one, call the elders to pray over you. And by the way, this is why every Sunday you may have noticed we've got people right over here available to pray for you during worship and even after service. And so I hope that you will take advantage of that. If you're going through something difficult, come on over and get prayed for. Step number two, James instructs, is to anoint the afflicted with oil. Verse 14 says, Call the elders to pray for the afflicted and anoint them with oil. Mark 6.13, another one of those early books of the New Testament, says that the twelve disciples drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now, I pray for people all the time without using oil. Uh, The three little boys I mentioned earlier, they didn't use oil. Anointing someone with oil is merely a symbol acknowledging the Holy Spirit's presence. You don't need any special kind of holy or blessed oil. I know a pastor who actually uses Crisco and just makes a little sign of the cross on the person's forehead. I anoint you with oil in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bake for one hour at 350 degrees, right? (laughs) No. It's merely an act of obedience acknowledging the Holy Spirit's presence and power, acknowledging that it is God who does the healing and not us. Step number three that James gives, it's important to confess our sins as we are praying for healing. It's important that those who are doing the praying and those who are receiving prayer for healing must prepare themselves by getting rid of any impurity that could prevent God's healing work in their lives. Verse 16 says confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Our senior pastor Steve Haney has shared a story before. I just think it's great as an example of this point where he and some other pastors were praying for a man on the street during Apple Blossom Festival one year. This man was deeply afflicted, having physical manifestations of demon possession, and people were all around him praying and praying, rebuking the devil with intensity. And then Steve shares that he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to ask the man if there was anyone in his life that he hated. And the man nearly vomited the words up, I hate my father. And Steve said, okay, you need to forgive him. You need to forgive him. Pray this prayer with me if you want to receive healing. And he led him in a prayer of forgiveness for his father, and the physical convulsions this man was experiencing left him, and he just went totally limp and calm. Author N.T. Wright says this, James seems again like Jesus himself, to have seen a connection between sin and ill health. But Jesus warned in John 9 against making too close a link. But at other times, for instance, in Mark 2, 1 through 12, it seems that forgiveness and healing were hand in hand. They go together. I think it's important not that you you, want to blame a sickness on sin, but it's true that sin in our hearts can actually get into our bodies and create illness. If you're hiding deep and difficult secrets that are eating at you, it's statistically true that it can create illness in your body. So we want to confess our sins. We want to be fully known. We want to get it out into the light so that, so that you can be healed. Basically, Sometimes God chooses not to heal, even if there is confession. Sometimes we've done everything right, and for reasons unknown to us at the time, God chooses not to heal or even allow, or even allows a person to die. And of course, if they're a Christian, they're receiving the ultimate healing when they're ushered into the care of Jesus. But regardless, it is clear that confession and healing go hand in hand with each other, and we must take honest stock of our hearts before God when we ask Him for healing. Step four, we need to pray with persistence. James uses the example of Elijah in verse 17, who prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and God honored his prayer. And James says that's how we should pray, with persistence, earnestly asking God to heal. I love what he says in chapter four, verse two, you do not have because you do not ask. Is that true in your life? Is it true in mine? that maybe we do not have simply because we have not asked. My kids understand the power of the ask. First thing in the morning, Blaze asks me the same thing every day. Dad, can I have some food? Dad, can you play with me? We're in town here for a few days, and Blaze has asked repeatedly, Dad, can I play with Simon and Owen, my cousins, please? That part's very important, apparently, to visiting Kashmir, by the way. Have we discovered the power in asking? James says, you simply do not have because you do not ask. And so every day I want to ask you to reflect on this. What are you asking God for? Every day I ask for God's protection over my marriage, my kids. I ask God to watch over my family. I ask God to provide financially for us. I ask God to give me wisdom and decisions. I ask God to bring my kids strong Christian friends. I ask God to help those around me in need. We ask, we must ask. I like to ask God out loud to say it. Jesus said in Luke seven eleven, If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Now those are the four steps that James lays out for the early church. Call the elders, anoint with oil, confess your sin, ask with intensity. And take a look at the promise in verse 15. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Now, does that mean that every time we pray for healing, God heals that person immediately? No. Sometimes we pray for healing, and it does not happen right away. I think that in our instant culture, we've been conditioned to expect things right now. We don't have to boil the water over fire. Now we just use a microwave. We don't have to go to the store to buy groceries. We can just order them on Amazon, and they'll arrive before the end of the day, at least where I live. But prayer isn't some kind of incantation for instant gratification. Sometimes God will answer a prayer in the moment, right now, but often not. I believe it's because God is patient. God chooses to do his work slowly and with other people most often. Sometimes we pray for someone and the person gets even worse or even dies. What does that verse mean then? This is one of those verses that you really need to think through what James means and not necessarily literally what he's saying. What he means is that whenever there's sincere prayer, where believers are bringing the afflicted before God in faith, where they anoint with oil, where they confess their sins, where they earnestly ask God for divine healing, Every time that happens, there is a type of healing that takes place in some form in that person's life, and if there's not immediate physical healing, there is always a spiritual or emotional healing, a lifting, a raising up that is often even more assuring than a physical healing. Every time that I pray for someone's healing, I've seen God raise that person up in some way. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's spiritual or emotional. Those are the four steps. Now, I want to just mention a couple cautions about prayer before we close. Caution number one, beware the belief that just having more faith will bring a miracle. If I just had more faith, Jesus says, all you need is the very smallest amount of faith to see God do great things. One time, the Apostle Paul prayed three times for God to heal him of an affliction. He pleaded with God to heal him of it. And what was God's answer? His answer was this, I will not remove this affliction from you, but my grace will be sufficient for you to handle it. Did Paul lack faith? No. He had all the faith in the world. God simply wanted to use Paul's affliction to deepen his character, increase his reliance on God, Paul's affliction had nothing to do with his level of faith. God has healed people with little or no faith at all. And caution number 2, beware the belief that high-profile Christians have a special line to God, you know, that they sort of have a red phone they can call. God listens to them, he doesn't listen to me. The belief that somehow they they have special precedence with God. That God hears them a little bit clearer. They're on the VIP list. No. The real purpose of James' instruction to go to the elders of the church is that the Holy Spirit dwells richly where there are two or more gathered in his name. There's a purpose in the authority God has established in the church. And again, this is James resetting their practices, resetting how they do things, establishing in a new way the baby church. It's good to call the elders of the church to come together, to call upon God on behalf of someone. However, every prayer matters to God. Think about the religious leader who with a proud heart thanked God he wasn't like the lowly sinner, and the shame-beaten sinner crying out for mercy. Jesus resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The sincere prayer by the one in humble circumstances has a very special place in God's heart, and maybe that's you today. To close, I have kind of a personal story about this. Papa Don, my wife's grandpa, his name's Don, suffered from a benign brain tumor that needed to be removed surgically. The surgery was successful, but resulted in Papa Don suffering stroke-like symptoms where the right half of his body didn't respond in the same way as the left side. And this affected his right eye in particular. He couldn't close his right eye all the way, and it was causing major problems. The solution they were considering was to have his right eye removed, which is what most people would do in that situation. Papa Don wasn't the most religious man you've ever met. He went to church every Sunday with his wife, tried his best to live for God, tried not to swear too much and all that. One Sunday at church during worship after the surgery, He was standing next to Grandma Helen, feeling the burning of his eye that would not close, thinking about the possibility of having it removed, and he said under his breath, Lord, you've been awfully good to me. I'm so grateful for everything you've done. I don't ask you for much, but if you could just do one more thing for me, that'd be awfully kind of you. If you could just help my eye to close so I don't have to have it removed, I'd sure be grateful. And right there in church, God healed Papa Don, granted that request, and he could blink again. And it's a story that has reverberated throughout Brittany's family. Papa Don doesn't pray a lot, not seen as the most religious person, but in a quiet, humble moment of just asking God to help, God showed up. Does it always turn out that way? Nope. Nobody can dictate or predict what God will do. I've had people ask me, what if nothing happens when we pray for healing? And my response is always the same. Our responsibility is to obey God's word and pray for healing, and it's God's responsibility to heal in His way and His time. Our job is to pray. It's God's job to heal. Prayer is not a formula. There's no exact algorithm, just like there's no exact algorithm with your spouse or your parents. To work the system, to get what you want. And in fact, if you're doing that sort of thing in your relationships, you're kind of missing the whole point of a relationship. Because prayer is a relational work, and it's work that we both do alone in quiet, private moments as a breathed whisper under our breath, but also as a community of believers building one another up, advocating for each other to God. We're going to close today with a song. I'm going to have the team come up. The song is Your Name. And it's about the name of Jesus, the power in the name of Jesus. During that song, if you want prayer, we're going to have our prayer team right over here next to the cross. And I just want to encourage you that if you want to come forward and receive prayer, to ask God for help, maybe you've got something going on in your body that needs healing. Maybe you need to confess your sins today to somebody and receive that inner healing, that peace, that calm, I encourage you to to be bold, to have courage, to come forth, and to get prayer. Also, I hope that you will join us after service today as we celebrate baptisms together at the McDevitt's house. If you don't know how to get there, you can go to our website, ChristCenterCashmore.com. We also have cards in the back with a map. Um, Steph's going to say a little more about that at the very end of service. But I hope that every single one of you are there. And the reason is because what we're celebrating there, we've got at least nine people, maybe more, who are going to be baptized. What we're celebrating there is the heart of our mission as a church, which is to reach people for Jesus, to reach people with the love of Jesus, and to make disciples. And part of that discipleship journey is saying, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want to follow God. I want to be counted as one in the family of Jesus. And so I hope that you'll come out and join us and celebrate that. And as we close, James ends with this, which is very poignant, talking about baptisms. My dear family, if someone in your company has wandered from the truth and someone turns them back, know this. The one who turns back a sinner from wandering off into error will rescue that person's life from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's the conclusive statement of the book of James, the early instruction to the early church, and here we are 2,000 years later still working to those ends. And that's what we're going to celebrate today at baptism. It's what we're all about. So join us as we thank God for what he's done. Let's keep going as we keep asking God to move and work, to keep bringing heaven to earth each and every day right here in our bodies, in our families, in our communities, and beyond. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love every single person in this room. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come right now to speak to hearts, to draw people's minds back to maybe a particular word or sentence or phrase that was spoken today, that you want to speak to them. Pray that you would give people courage Lord, that you would fill us with humility. And God, we pray for those who are afflicted among us. God, I pray specifically for our senior pastor who's been recovering from surgery. God, would you touch his body and set everything to right in Jesus' name. Lord, there's so many other folks out here and need a touch from you today, God, and I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and touch them and meet them where they're at to advance your purposes in their lives. In Jesus' name, one day at a time, one day at a time. God, come and move among us. We invite you. It's in your name, Jesus.